Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. We are live and we are not Memorex. Matthew chapter 14. Tonight, we're going to talk about when your faith collapses. When your faith collapses. We're going to learn something here that's going to help us a whole lot. Now you say, well, Pastor, my faith never collapsed. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. Everybody, only one man lived his life and his faith never collapsed, and that was Jesus. Everybody else goes through these periods, and he's going to help us tonight. We're going to look at a man tonight whose faith collapsed several times, and we're going to look at one time when it does. This is in the Bible for a reason. This is one of the most encouraging, got to get up and go passages in the Bible, Matthew chapter 14. And uh, let me tell you, before we read the scripture, we're going to ask three questions. This was a guy whose faith just collapsed. And we're going to ask three questions as we look at this tonight. Number one, what happened? Why did your faith disappear so fast? And how did you get in such a mess? Number two, what could he have done to keep it from happening? And number three, what do you do when it does happen? And I'm really not here tonight to learn about him. I'm here to learn about me and you because the Bible is God speaking to me and you. Have y'all ever heard that before? The Bible is God speaking to you. And we're going to let him teach us tonight. And you've been through this. I would dare say, unless you're Jesus Jr., you may go through it again. So we want to learn tonight from this man when his faith collapsed. Don't you look with me in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. The Bible said this immediately. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side while he sent a multitude's wife. I had a tremendous meeting that day. Jesus fed people. He preached. The meeting's over. He said, y'all get in the boat. Meet me over there. I'm going somewhere else. Verse 23, when he sent the multitudes away, Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was alone there with the father. Even Jesus needed to get with God and recharge after a day of ministry. Boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. I guess that's biblical talk for they was in a mess is what they were in. Tremendous storm. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. I love Jesus. You have got to love this man. He'll just walk right across the water, whatever he needs to do. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Here's a little side note. Sometimes the very thing that's scaring you to death is God coming to help you. Just thought I'd throw that in. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It's the Greek word we get our word encouragement out of. Actually, it's parakleton. Jesus said, be encouraged. It is I. Do not be afraid. Quick, quick. Let me, let me throw this in for free too. If we were to obey Matthew 14, 27, would that not make life wonderful? If we were to owe Jesus, obey Jesus and be encouraged and refuse to be afraid, that's for free too. Let's go. Verse 28, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come, come down, walk on the water. And when Peter came down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. I think that's good. I'd like to have done that. I think it'd have been fun. You said, well, what, what purpose does it serve in healing humanity to walk on water? I don't know. I just think it'd be fun to walk on water. I think it'd be great to see what God could do. So he's out there. Listen, he is walking on that water and he's out there. It is concrete underneath him and he's walking on the water. So far, so good. Oh, watch verse 29, verse 30. When he saw that the wind was boisterous or strong, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. We were doing good up in verse 30, wasn't we? Did his faith collapse? Sure did. Verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, O ye of little faith. And then Jesus asked this man a question. Why'd you do that? He didn't make a statement. He asked him, why'd you do that? Why'd you doubt? 
Jesus seems puzzled that the man would not believe him. All right. Then they got into the boat and the wind ceased. Those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Your worship level will always be raised by the storms you go through with Jesus. Just raise it up. All right, here we go. Now we're going to ask those three questions. What happened? Uh, the man was doing so good by faith in God's word. And then down he goes. I mean, his faith just collapsed. And uh, by the way, Simon was not a, uh, what we would call a peripheral auxiliary member. He was the chief apostle. He was the main man in the discipleship movement there and his faith collapsed. Mine has two at times. Yours has two at times. Let's learn from this. Why did it happen? Number two, what could he have done to keep that from happening? Number three, what do you do when it happens? All right, this is for today. Number one, why did it happen? Here's a foundational truth for our lives that Jesus reveals. And he really, Jesus reveals the thing in verse 31 when he said this to him. And he said, verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Jesus makes one of the greatest revelations that says this simply. If God's doing anything in your life, it is by faith. The only reason the power of God was released in his life was because of his faith, not Jesus' faith, his own faith. Dear ones, if God does anything in your life, it will be by faith. A lot of people put a lot of emphasis on love. It is very important. But I'm going to tell you something. All the love in the world cannot do what faith does. And the Bible teaches clearly that if God's going to save you, help you, bless your family, bless your children, pay your bills, fill your heart with joy. It is going to be by faith. We won't take the time to do it, but sometimes if you'll read Hebrews chapter 11, it's God's hall of fame. You know, the football ones in Canton, Ohio, God's is in Hebrews 11 and read Hebrews 11. And it, it gives a slight hint in there as to why people can do great things and why God does great things. And it says this, see if you can pick this up as you read Hebrews 11 sometimes. By faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, by faith, Sarah, by, and it goes right on down the list. Tell me what it was that they had that caused God to release his blessing. It is their faith. So Jesus reveals the only reason God was doing this for you is because of your faith. And uh, then the second thing he reveals is this simply when he said, why'd you doubt? Jesus said this, you are responsible for your faith. You are responsible for your faith. Not even Jesus can have faith for you. He can give it to you, but he can't have faith for you. So Jesus said, and this, you see how big this is. If God does something for you, it'll be by faith and you are responsible for your faith. So we see that this is what the problem was. Listen, it didn't cause he didn't, it wasn't cause he didn't tithe last Sunday. God's power didn't stop in his life cause Simon cussed. Simon cussed all the time. That wasn't it. <laughs> Don't write me an email. I'm... God stopped working in this man's life cause he stopped faithing or as we would say, stopped believing foundational truth there. Everything the father does is by faith. Every single thing. You know why that is? Because everything he does is through grace. And if everything he does is through grace, we can only receive it by faith. I want you to look with me at the truth of the whole Bible in Romans chapter four. Turn with me to Romans chapter four. If you're going to heaven one day, here's why. If heaven's touching your life today, here's why. If God's blessed you financially, here's why. If he's put something in your heart, here's why. Everything he does has two elements to it, grace and faith. Everything is grace and faith. And we're just going to we'll surmise this in Romans chapter four. We looked at this passage recently about Abraham after he was given a great promise. Let's study a little bit here. Romans chapter four, verse 16 says this. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. If God saves you, 
does anything for you, it is because he's good. Grace simply means the kindness of God, the loving kindness of God. And uh, you say, well, how come? And this is a question people ask. And let me, let me say this before I ask this question. It is okay to ask the hard questions. It is okay to dig in. And listen, God's word's got the answers. It's okay to ask the hard questions. And this was a question I asked one time as a young minister because nobody taught me the truth of God's word. I was just taught a bunch of religious stuff. If God is so good, how come he doesn't do more for more people? Is that not a legitimate question? I mean, if he's so big and he's so powerful and he's so good, how come he isn't helping more people? Is it because he only helps the good people and not the bad people? If that had been the case, he wouldn't help me. But why does he only work here and here and here and the large majority of people never become his children and never find his blessing? Why does that happen? It is by grace through faith. If, if God does anything good for me, I promise you this, I never earned it. It is the kindness of God. He is gracious. His grace. You say, well, then, then I was taught in church that if you're good, God will bless you. Can't be. There's no grace in that. That's called earned. I haven't earned. The only thing I've ever earned in my life is a one-way ticket to the hottest corner of hell. Everything else is the kindness of God. I mean, my life, my health, my blessing, everything is the goodness of God. I did not deserve it, but I received it through faith. And the simple answer to why he does not do more is because he's always looking for faith and he's not finding it. Let me, let me give you a question Jesus asked in Luke chapter 10. When the son of man returns to the earth, will he find faith in the earth? It is by grace through faith, according to scripture. That's why it has to be. If, if it ever becomes anything except faith, it can't be grace anymore. You have to earn it. And Jesus' death was wasted. It's always at the cross. It's by the kindness of God. Let me quote to you another verse about this, Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Jesus became a curse for you. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree so that the blessings of God might come upon us in Christ Jesus and we might receive the goodness of his spirit through faith. Jesus died to pay for everything I need, but it is faith that brings it to him. Listen, my faith doesn't earn one thing. It is simply the hand that reaches up and takes hold of it. It is the cross, it is the grace of God that pays for everything. Family needs, personal needs, whatever we have. Uh, perhaps you're familiar with this verse right here. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is the grace of God that I'm going to heaven one day. I know why you're excited. You're so old, you're fixing to get there. Well, that's okay. That may be the case, but I cannot wait to get there. I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to see the new earth and I can't wait to see what it's like to fish and never miss because heaven is perfect. Heaven's going to be wonderful. But if I'm in heaven, it won't be because I earned it. It will be because of my faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Everything God does is by faith. That's why his power was loosed in this man's life through faith. Thank you, Jesus. Now, all right. Let me just blow your theology out of the water and blow the mental health professionals out of the water and everybody else. Turn with me to Matthew chapter nine and let's look at why you are where you are right now. Matthew chapter nine. Now, sometimes people get real spiritual, which is spooky to me. And they'll say, well, no one knows why the Lord does what he does. Look up here. Buy you one of these books right here and find out. <laughs> Buy you a Bible. and I mean, it's a big book. It has a lot of pages in there. Find out why he does what he does. All right, those of you who believe that nobody knows, he just does what he wants to do, square with this passage right here. Matthew chapter nine. I love Matthew chapter nine. <clears throat> Verse 27, Jesus is walking. 
Jesus is the revelation of God. Verse 27, Jesus departed from there. Two blind men followed him crying out saying, son of David, have mercy on us. Very important that you notice they called him the son of David. They knew this was God's child. Son of David is a term referring for the Messiah. And when he'd come into the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, did you tithe last week? You boys hadn't been drinking, have you? <laughs> what did Jesus say to them? I want you to look at these words. Do you believe I'm able to do this? What was he looking for? Perfection? Goodness? He's looking for faith out of these fellows. He said, you believe? It's that simple. Do you believe I can do this to you? They said to him, yes, Lord. And right, let's read very carefully verse 29. And it applies to them and it applies to you. He touched their eyes saying to them, according to God's will, let it be to you. That is not what he said. He said, according to what? Whose faith? Your faith, let it be to you. Here's the announcement. You are where you are today because of what your faith was yesterday. It's not the will of God. It is your faith. Now, obviously, he's not going to do something that's not his will. But there was this book is full of the promises of God that he's made to all his children. And if I got nine of them and somebody's got 27 of them and you got zero of them, that's not the will of God. My faith has got me where I'm at today. I want you to memorize these words and chew on them. Be it unto you according to your faith. That just explodes the American excuse mentality all to pieces, doesn't it? Somebody say amen. I think the man has found the answer here somewhere. So you know what this passage, you know why I love this so much? This tells me by faith, nothing is impossible. I'm not the third descendant that he don't pay any attention to. I, it's not because of my past. My faith is the only thing that keeps me from having everything Jesus died to give. I am where I am today because of my faith right now. Be it unto you according to my faith. Oh, this is tremendous news. This is the foundational truth of the gospel that we're having trouble getting across to people. So, you know, if you read this in the scripture, the question is, does anybody need some faith? My goodness, absolutely. And the scripture teaches this very clearly. I'm gonna quote it again because we, after spending some time with some of the brethren and sistren, is that right? Sisterhood that goes to my church here. I'm becoming keenly aware that I have not helped you to learn this enough, but I repent of not teaching you about faith and we will get it right from now on. Let me review one more time. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. I have to have evidence before I see it or it's not faith. All right, let's follow a little bit further here. We need it. Number two. So I want us to go back to Matthew 14. We're not far from there. Turn with me. This man asked something of the father. He asked something, he said, I want to walk on that water. He could not have walked on that water by faith unless Jesus did what? Spoke. Jesus had to say, come. He couldn't just say, well, I'm going to have faith and do it. He'd have gone straight to the bottom like a rock. He had to hear God say something to have faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the voice of God. But when Jesus looked at him and said, come, there was enough power in that one word. He could still be walking on that water to this day. And he stepped out on faith. Would you agree he stepped out on faith? How many of you know Thomas caught him by the robe and said, have you thought about this? I throw that in for free too. People who want to walk by faith have always got them big thinkers grabbing hold of them saying, you've lost your mind. Yes, I've lost my mind. I've found his spirit. And I've found my faith. And he got out of there and he began to walk. All right, now we're going to go deep. Stay with me. Stay with me. Was it the will of God for him to walk on that water? This ain't hard. <laughs> yeah, because God released his power and the power of God held him up. Here's the question. Why did God stop helping him? 
Did God change his mind? Did he find Marlboro's in it, rolled up in his robe? <laughs> Why did God stop helping him? Because that man stopped believing. Can you see clearly that my lack of faith can cut the power of God off in my life? And I could show you this in many scriptures that this losing faith, or we, I'm calling it faith collapsing tonight because he collapsed and went down. Now I want to ask you a question. How important is faith? It is the difference in living above the storm and under the storm. If I don't walk by faith, God can't do anything for me. His power can't be released in my life. How do I, uh, you gain it obviously by here. Let's do this real quick. I want us to, to learn a little bit here. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. And let me teach you something that perhaps you didn't know. I see people miss this all the time. I see preachers miss it. Romans chapter 10 holds the secret to why some people's faith works and why it doesn't. And I, I just want to say this humbly. I'm having fun tonight, but I want to humble myself and say, don't be touchy about this. Don't get upset with me. Darren, if, you, if you're mad, something's wrong. You'll speak to people and they'll say, well, I, my grandma had faith like, wait, wait a minute, that tone is not godly. We're trying to help you here. You don't know your grandma's heart. You don't know this stuff. Then was the Bible is right and our opinions have to line up with it. So we need to humble ourselves and go back to the word here. And I'm going to show you where we miss it because I've had people say, well, I had all kinds of faith and it didn't work. Let me show you something in Romans chapter 10. Now we've already quoted Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How can they hear unless somebody speaks God's word to them? or you can read it out of the Bible. Demons, faith has got to come into my heart by God's word. Now here's where the problem is. What a lot of people are calling faith today is not Bible faith, it's intellectual faith. It's head faith. And uh, two, two problems with it. Number one, we've got intellectual faith trying to pass. From, intellectual faith won't get you anywhere. Only heart faith. Look with me in Romans chapter 10, verse eight, the Bible says this. But what does it say? And by the way, this is what faith is. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your what? In your heart. Does it say the word of God's down in your mind? Then as I can memorize Bible verses and know the promises and never cause anything to happen. Tell me where the word has to be for it to be faith. It's got to be in my heart. So Brother Brown, I mean, with all my heart, I believe. Wrong term. There has to be a revelation of God's word into my spirit for it to be real faith. The word is near you. It's got to be in your mouth and it's in your heart. And he's going to show you how he does this. Verse nine says this, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your head, in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Watch verse 10. For with the heart, one believes. If I tell you that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, and most Americans believe that, but most Americans are not saved. You can't believe it in your head. You've got to let the Holy Spirit make it real to your heart. Heart faith is when the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and it's, some people call it revelation faith. There's a big difference in knowing something in my head and my heart being ignited by that faith. And when a lot of people say, well, I had faith, but it didn't work. Really, you had intellectual knowledge. You could quote the verse, but you didn't let the Holy Spirit make it alive in your heart. Demons, faith can only come out of the heart. With the heart, man believeth. With the heart, we have to believe God. And when we hear his voice or we get that word down inside of us, that's why it's so important to meditate scripture. When I meditate scripture, it goes into my mind. But as I dwell on it, it slowly goes down into my spirit. And then I've got faith, living Bible faith. All right, let me throw this in too. There's a big difference between intellectual faith and heart faith. Intellectual faith will not move mountains. Heart faith will move the hand of God. 
Let me throw this in also. And this is where a lot of confusion comes from. You can have faith in this area and have none in this area. You can have great faith to be saved and none to have your bills paid. You can have great faith to be saved and none to see your children blessed. Faith can be compartmentalized like that. We see this in the book of Acts. The Bible said that Paul was preaching the gospel and a crippled man was sitting there and Paul saw that he had faith to be healed. He could see that faith on him. I've met many a person because of what they've been taught. They can, they've got this, they've got a rock solid Holy Spirit faith that if I should die tonight, I'd go straight to heaven. They believe, they've got heart faith for salvation. But because of what they've been taught, they don't have faith in other areas. And this is intellectual. We need heart. Listen, you got to let the Spirit of God bring faith in your heart to whatever. If I say to you, you need to believe that he tells the truth that all my children will be taught of the Lord and great will be the peace of my children. You can't just hear that with your mind and quote it back. You got to let the Holy Spirit get that down into your heart till you go. The proper theological term is this. I just know that I know in my knower. The biblical term is with the heart man believeth. That's why meditating scripture is so important to get that down in our hearts. And we need, we need a heart faith that's got to get down in our spirits. I, I really want to i got to emphasize this because a lot of people are getting disappointed when there was no heart faith there to start with. We've got to move from head faith to heart faith. Uh, Jonathan Helser teaches at his camp out there in Sophia. He teaches a, a tremendous ministry course called The 18-Inch Journey. That's the distance from your head to your heart. We've got to get the words out of our head and get them on fire down in our hearts. That's where faith comes from. And Simon had that kind of faith and uh, you hear his word and your promise and his spirit begins. To, here's, here's how you know you're getting heart faith. You take the promise of God, whether he gave it to you out of his word or he's just shown you something personally. And when it, all of a sudden in your heart, hope begins to rise up. You begin to go, yeah, watch. And hope just rises up. That's God implanting heart faith to you. And it just, it's in your heart. And uh, when Jesus said to Simon, come, something hit his heart and he just knew I can walk on that water. He, he got out there and it worked. But I want you to notice something. Even heart faith can disappear and collapse as it did with Simon. And uh, <clears throat> that's what we want to learn here. Bible faith. All right. <clears throat> Let me say this. There is a gap. All of us are in the gap. There's a gap between faith and seeing. There, I'm, I'm believing God for some things right now. I, could, I would stake my life. He's going to do it. I know he is because he's revealed it to my heart, but I hadn't seen it come to pass yet. I'm in that gap between faith and reception, faith and receiving what he promised. We need to always live in that gap, whether it's for our children, our health, our, our ministries, personal ministries that we do with people, our finances. We need to always stay in that gap between God has promised and I got enough faith to carry me to the revelation and got to be in that gap right there. Now, let me help you for a minute. When you find yourself in that gap, what do you do? You got to do something or you won't, your faith will collapse. All right, back to Romans chapter four. I want you to look with me in Romans chapter four. We saw this, that there was a man named Abraham and this is the premier picture in the Bible of this. Abraham, our heavenly father came to a 90 year old man, took him outdoors one night and waxed indoors. He said to him, I am your exceeding reward. Abraham said, you have blessed me tremendously, but I have no child and the desire of my heart's a child. God took him outside. He said, count the stars. He begins to count the stars and he couldn't do it. And he said, so shall be your descendants. Listen, when God speaks to you, to your heart, faith explodes in there. 
and faith rose up in that man's heart, but there was a 15 year gap between the promise and ah! there was a 15 year gap between the promise and the baby showing up. Dear ones, you have got to learn this. If it attacks your faith and attacks your hope, that is from hell. Our father, the Holy Spirit don't talk like that. God speaks faith into people's lives. One of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible, I think in Mark chapter four, a man comes to get Jesus and says, I know my daughter's dying. I know you can help her. There's, we need to quit beating around the bush. We need to start knowing that what God says is true. He said, I know you can help her. And Jesus said, I'll go with you. Well, Jesus got delayed because this woman grabbed him. The crowd blocked him. And all of a sudden he's walking. And this, this man, can you imagine what's in his heart? If you ever had a young child and he loved this child so much and he found out she's dying, he, he can't, there's no medical community then. His only hope is Jesus. He goes to Jesus and he, the Bible said he begged him. It, would you, and this is what he said, come put your hands on her. I've seen what your hands can do. He begged Jesus. Jesus said, I'll come with you. What do you think happened to that man when Jesus said, I'm coming? Boy, his heart rose up and hope rose. Just the, he's coming. And they go through this thing and he's getting delayed and the man's trying to be nice while he's helping the woman and him and Simon trying to discuss something. The man's thinking, we need to be moving on over toward my house. These were real people who dealt with real issues like you and me. So they get to walking and all of a sudden in the distance, he sees them. He sees two of his servants coming toward him and his heart collapses. He knows why they're coming. And they get there and, and they're humbly, they said to him, do not bother the teacher. She's dead. What do you think happened in his heart? Same thing that happened in my heart or your heart. If somebody did that to you, and the Bible said Jesus leaned over to him and he said to him, do not be afraid. You believe me. What do you think happened when God spoke into that dark situation? That man's heart rose right back up because faith comes by hearing the word of God, the voice of God. And Jesus spoke faith into that man's life. And then I think it's one of the funniest passages in the Bible after that. They go to the man's house and uh, she, she's supposedly dead laying there on the bed. Jesus walks in the house. Remember, nobody knows Jesus. And the house is full of mourners. Grandma's there. Both the aunts are in. Everybody's there. The church has come over. They brought chicken casserole and all that. Everybody's filling the house. They're all crying. Jesus walks in and he says, hey, hey, why y'all making this racket? She's not dead. How do you think that'd go over? And the Bible said they laughed him to scorn. Then if you're going to walk by faith, plan on being laughed at by the experts. I've been laughed at all my life. Keep laughing. I'm going to keep believing. And here's the funny part. The Bible said, then Jesus put them all out. Why did he grab grandma and push her out the front door? I mean, could you imagine? I, I'm her aunt. Well, you getting out. They didn't even know who he was. He starts throwing them out of the house. And, you know, they look at the, the man and say, why is he throwing us out of the house? You better get out. Looks like to me. He threw them all out of the house. Why did God have to throw them out of that house? Not even God can operate in that atmosphere of unbelief. We have got to learn how faith works in this generation. And then Jesus went in there and he spoke to the little girl. He said, tell Kumai, I say to you, little girl, get up. And she got up. But, but listen, along that journey, that period where that man had to believe God, God spoke into his heart and faith rose up when he heard it. And he, listen, he hadn't seen her alive yet, but he knew it was coming because faith comes by hearing. And faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of what he hadn't seen yet. And Jesus spoke into that man's life and faith rose up inside of there. All right, dear ones, in Romans chapter four, Abraham said, I want a child. God said, you're going to have one. 15 years, there's a gap. 
there'll always be a gap for you. If you're believing God for anything, you're trusting him for anything, there's going to be a period between the promise and, and when it shows up. What do we do in that period? Let me show you three things I learned from scripture in Romans 4 we have to do. Number one, you have to feed your faith on what God says. You, there was faith don't, you don't just get it one time and it lasts forever. Faith has to be fed. I'm going to say it again. Faith must be fed to be strong. Heart faith has to be fed to be strong. Let me show you. Let's just read the passage. Romans chapter four. Put it in verse 18. Abraham, 18. Contrary to hope in hope, believe so that he became. Dear ones, if you're going to become, you've got to start believing. If God's going to do things for you, you got to start believing. The father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. We read that, Genesis 15, 5. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, already dead. He's about 100 years old. Sarah was dead too. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what God promised he could do. How did he grow his faith in verse 20? Latter part of verse 20. How did he strengthen his faith? He strengthened his faith, giving glory to God. He meditated on the promise of God, so shall your descendants be. He thought about it. He chewed on it. And I think he spoke, because Abraham even spoke it. I will be a father. Praise God, I'm going to be a father. I know it looks crazy. I'm not telling anybody else. They'll laugh at me. But God told me I'm going to be a father and it is going to happen. I know it's been 13 long years, but my God tells the truth. That is an attitude of faith. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. I think he just walked around during the day and saying, I want to praise you and thank you that what you said is going to come to pass. Thank you, hallelujah. I am a daddy. I am a daddy because God is... He strengthened his own faith, giving glory to God. Dear ones, you're going to have to feed your faith during that gap period by saying what he says and believing it and giving him glory for it. Do not sit there like a frog on a log and wait for it to happen. Faith dies when you do the frog on the log imitation thing. Feed your faith by giving glory to God and praising him that what, what did it say? What you promised will come to pass. Number one, you got to feed it and you've got to hold on to his promise, whatever it is. Number two, you've got to refuse to meditate on the storms. We're going to look back in a minute. Did you notice Simon's faith collapsed when he got his eyes off Jesus and onto the junk around him? Refuse to look at the storms. We're in Romans chapter four. Look at this. I think this is humorous. Verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he refused to stare at his body in the mirror when he got out of the shower. And he dang sure wasn't going to look at Sarah when she got out of the shower. Is that not what it says? What does consider mean? It don't mean glance at. Consider means stare at it and think about it. He said, I am not staring at this hundred year old body and I sure ain't staring at Granny Grunt over there. This ain't going to happen. He said, can you not see that? Can you look what the scripture says? If he had focused on the problem and her age and the impossibilities, what the Bible say would have happened in that verse? He would have grown weak in faith. But he refused to grow weak in faith. Let me make an announcement. If it's hurting your faith, have enough sense to look the other way. Do not let what's going on around you destroy your faith. Simon had to make a decision. He could either stare at the promise and the king who was walking in front of him, or he could stare at the storms around him. Do we need to review what happens when you get your eyes on the storm and get them off of Jesus? This is not complicated. <laughs> this man grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And when Sarah walked by without a towel on, he said, I ain't looking over there. Now I'm being cute, but I want to tell you, we got to apply this to our lives. 
When you're praying for your kids that are on drugs, I'm going to tell you something. God loves those children. Jesus died to save those children. He will save those children. But you're going to have to get this down in your heart. You've got to blow this faith up and believe it. Quit getting on the internet and looking at how that kid's doing. Get in your Bible and look how the promise of God is standing. There's going to be a period between the promise and the fulfillment. Faith can stand right in the middle of a mess and say, I believe God, it will be just like it was told me. Real faith can be right in the middle of a storm and say, we are going to the other side. And this is, you're going to see in a minute, it's called the fight of faith. This is the battle for faith. And we need to build our faith to that point. I, I, one of the most wonderful examples, I've had a lady at work for me years ago. She was a secretary at a church I was at years ago. She was a godly lady. I mean, she was wonderful. Just, she was normal. She wasn't religious. She was normal. But she loved God passionately. I mean, she just, she just was in love with Jesus like a lover. She was crazy about Jesus. But she was married to one of the dumbest rednecks ever breathed fresh air. I mean, he was just, he was lost as a ball in high weeds. I mean, he was just clueless. He didn't believe in that junk. Don't want to hear that junk. Don't tired of you talking about it. And she, the meaner he got, the sweeter she got. You know why? Because every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. So quit crying about every day with Brutus. Never mind. Every day with Jesus got sweeter. The meaner he got, the sweeter she got. And uh, she walked by once in a while and I'd say, how's Bubba doing? And she'd look at me and she'd, she'd lean to him and she'd say, that man's going to worship God one day. I mean, I mean, it wasn't a, I wish, I hope it ain't looking good. And listen, the storm was raging and he was getting meaner. And she would say, that man is going to serve God one day. That man's going to worship God one day. And I just said, hey, I believe you. You don't need to tell me. Amen. I believe you. You know what she did? She took the promise of God and she chewed on that thing like cheap bubble gum till it grew inside of her. And she refused to look at how rotten he was. She could only see how good God was. She grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and she refused to look at him when he was acting like an idiot. I'm going to put it in language you can understand tonight. And I watched her walk that out. Do I need to finish the story? That man loves God and serves God today, became one of my best helpers in church because his wife faithed him in there. This is what we do with our faith, dear ones. We use it to bring the promises of God to pass in our lives and other people's lives. So why don't the Lord do something? Why don't you do something? He has nailed his son to a cross to pay for everything. He's given us his word to build our faith. It's time for us to get to walking on the water. I'm just enjoying it. I know this is true. Oh, he is so good to us. All right, here's the deal. <clears throat> he just refused to meditate on it. I'm, we're not going to look back, but... Let's do Matthew 14. Let me show you something. Have you ever been where you, everything was going so good? You was walking with Jesus. Everything was wonderful. And all of a sudden it just fell apart. Yes, we've all been there. Matthew 14. This man is walking on water. I think it's wonderful. He's just doing so good. Verse 30, Matthew 14, 30. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, fear came in and he began to sink. When did he get in trouble? when he got his attention on the junk going on around him. A lot of junk going on in our nation right now. A lot of junk going on in people's lives. A lot of junk going on in churches. Somebody should write a song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is what faith's all about. It just depends on what you feed on. This is not hard. If you feed on the truth of God and His goodness and His word, your faith will grow. If you feed on the storms around you, what did it say? You will grow weak in faith and then the power of God will be cut off in our lives. 
And we're going to be right where Simon was at the whims and the wishes of the storm. Let me throw in one more here. You have to refuse to lose hope. I am, listen, I can live without a lot of things. I'm not going to lose hope. And when I feel hope begin to slip away over a situation that I'm in, and I'm always in some situation, you are too. When I feel hope begin to slip away, and I really think it's what you're doing is you're feeling the attack come, you got to make up your mind and say, well, maybe it wasn't God's will. Knock that mess off, buy you a Bible and find his will. You got to say, I am not letting him steal my hope from me. I'm not going to go with his stuff. All right, turn with me. Let me give you something you're going to need in the future. Psalm 27. Memorize this. Write it on the back of your contacts so when you put it on every day, you'll see it. Psalm 27. Dear ones, this is in the Bible. You need to hang on to this. Psalm 27. I love this. I mean, I know I say I love them all. I double love this one. Psalm 27. <laughs> see if this has ever happened to you right here. Psalm 27, 13. The whole thing's good, but this is good. I would have lost heart unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What does lost heart mean? Gotten discouraged, depressed, downcast, sad. My faith would have collapsed. I would be discouraged if I did not believe God is going to do something good for me in the land of the living. I have a choice. I can either feel sorry for myself and cry in my beer my root beer, or I can say, I am not going to act like this. God is going to do something good for me. I would have lost heart and been discouraged unless I had chosen to believe God is at work in me to will and work for his good pleasure. And I want to make an announcement. All things are working together for good because I love God and I'm called according to his purpose. Sometimes you got to bow up. And when you sense hope being jerked away from you, you got to say, uh-uh. I am not going to lose heart. I'm going to throw in the next verse for free. Wait on the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean wait and twiddle your thumbs. Little word is wait expectantly. I'm expecting something good to happen. When people ask me, say, how's so-and-so doing? I tell them they're doing just fine. They say, you're lying. They're doing terrible. No, no, I'm speaking from God's word, not what you can see. We need to wait on the Lord expectantly and be of what? What does it mean be of good courage? Redneck up, doc. Be of good courage. It means to choose. What is, what is encouragement? It's when courage comes in you. Discouragement is when your courage disappears. We need to be of good courage and we need to wait, I say, on the Lord. Do you, I love those two verses because here's what this says to me as a believer. I don't care what I feel. I don't care what I say. God's word is true and I am not going to lose heart. God's going to do something good for me and I'm going to stand here and holler till he does it. That's what it means. Wait on the Lord expectantly. God is going to bless his family. God is going to save that child. God is going to work a miracle. You see that? That's a little presumptuous. That's called faith. And we need to build our faith back to that point where we can trust him. All righty. Let me quit by showing you something here. This is a real fight. That's why the Bible said faith is a fight. Let me show you something cool here. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is another one you need to put on. Put this on the other contact. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Wonderful, wonderful word from heaven here. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This guy was in a battle. Isn't it, isn't it funny how that everybody in the Bible was in a battle? Isn't it funny how we are all in a battle with something, somewhere, somehow? And uh, let me tell you what the Christian life is. It's not about learning how to be nice. It's about learning how to play whack-a-mole. That's the Christian life right there. 
Get your whack-a-mole set. You know what whack-a-mole is? They got them at the beach. I love to play them. You take this, this mallet and this mole knocks it, sticks his head up and you whack him down, two more jump up. You whack them down, one more jumps up. You whack him down. You get him knocked down, three more jump up. That's called whack-a-mole. That's faith. That's what it is right there. We're all coming out of something, going into something, or right in the middle of the next best thing. Doing that's life right there. So, well, when will it be easy? When I'm saying nice things about you and they stick you in the back of a Cadillac. <laughs> Till then, it's going to be holy whack-a-mole. Till it's said and done. Alrighty. Look at me with this. Don't look at me. Look with me. You don't look at me. Look with me at this verse. First Timothy chapter six, verse twelve says this: <clears throat> Fight the good fight of faith. What does that sound like to you? You can't just have faith. You're going to have to fight for faith. There's going to be a fight over it. There's going to be a battle for faith. Now let me make an announcement. The fight is not with God. He is for you. He's the one telling you to believe. I'm going to tell you something else. The fight's not with me. I done decided to be blessed by God. You don't have to twist my arm for God to do good things to me. It's not with my wife. It's not with you. Who do we fight with? Let me explain something to you. You know why? Because our enemy knows something we don't know a lot of times. If I can collapse their faith, I can cut God off from working in their lives. Therefore, if faith is what brings the blessing, I'm going after their faith. He is always after your faith. And he's going to do it the same way he started in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, did, did God, hath God said, did God really say that? You know what the answer is? Dang right he did, and you know it too. You don't have to say the dang if you don't want to. You can say the Seth, whatever. But there's a great fight of faith. Now, I want, you, I want to show you something here. This, I love this right here. In 1 Timothy 6, 12, he said, fight the good fight of faith. I need to throw this in here. Every day. There will be days when you are, you are a holy, you're a holy Rambo. I mean, you could take it, you could fight hell with a water pistol. And then there's days where you can look like Mr. Rogers versus the Marines. Every day we got to fight this fight. Every day we got to build it. But I want you to look at these words right here. Fight the good fight of faith. And this is the same thing, just said a different way. Lay hold on eternal life. Now, when you see eternal life, you think of going to heaven. That's not what that means. It's the word eternal quality of life. Lay hold of everything God promised you in this life. You have to lay hold of peace. You have to fight for it. You have to, you have to, I want a great family. I want my family to do well more than I want anything on this earth. It ain't just going to happen. It's not just going to happen. I have to fight for that. that. That's the eternal, eternal life is the good promise of God. It's the word Zoe. It means the eternal quality of life. I want everything Jesus died, but how do I get it? What's the two words? Lay hold. Does that say sit still and wait for it? You know what the word lay hold, we get, our, we get a word from that Greek word. Our word we get from that is arrest. You have to, uh, let me say it this way. I'm fixing to jump on you, boy. That's lay hold. Lay hold means grab violently. Arrest, it's literally it's the word arrest. Paul said in Philippians 3, I want to arrest that for which Jesus arrested me. I want to lay hold of that for which Jesus laid hold of me. Now, if I'm a law man and I want to arrest somebody, I don't sit with my arms crossed in the chair. That's not how you lay hold of somebody. It takes some effort. Anybody ever been arrested? Well, I have. And, and, and they don't ask you to show up. They'll come after you is what they'll do. I'm riding with a, a lawman one day, a deputy one day, and uh, I was a uh, chaplain with the sheriff's department. We're riding one day. We're just riding down the road, having a big time. There's a man standing in the yard. 
and we go by him and he looks at me with this funny look. He said, that's the most wanted criminal in our county. We didn't even think he was around anymore. That, that's one of the greatest criminals we've had for years. He said, we got to get him. I said, what you mean we, white man? I'm chatting. He said, we got to get him. So we go over the hill, we turn around so he couldn't see the car, come back, unmarked car, come back up over the hill and we see him, a car has pulled over. He's getting in this car. Apparently he was waiting for a ride. So they take off. My deputy buddy pulls up behind him. I think the guy figured it out because that car took off. Now we're both flying through the countryside. This is what it means to lay hold of something. We're flying through the countryside. That car slides to a stop and the guy takes out, starts running across a cornfield. It'd been cut across cornfield. And then that car takes off and my buddy's driving. He did not stop and get out. He just turned through the ditch we went across the cornfield we go. He's chasing him in this car and I thought he gonna run him over and chases him a little ways. And right before he just about runs him over, he stops, throws it in park, jumps out of the car, runs up there, tackles him and jerks his hands behind him. You know what that's called? Lay hold. Lay hold of him. He arrested that man. He didn't ask him to show up politely. He went after him till he got him. What does the Bible say? Lay hold of eternal life. You've got to have the same attitude. Jesus died for me to be blessed in my life, my family, my endeavors, and I am not going to miss it. I'm not going to let an unholy devil take God's best away from me. If I have to fight for faith to see his promises, so be it. We have let some crazy, what's the word, passive spirit get in the church. We're getting killed. We need a little less Lil Wayne and a little more John Wayne. That's what we need in the church right now. Somebody to go after the promises of God and get with it. <laughs> Take that off. We need to go after the blessings, what we need to do. All righty. Let me quit by saying this. I'm going to throw this in again. The enemy knows if I destroy their faith, I cut God off in their lives. Guess what he's going after? I'm going to grow my faith. All right, let me throw in this in, in last of all. Simon sinks. He's doing great. God's, the power of God's in his life. He lets fear destroy his faith and down he goes. Now he's got to make a decision, doesn't he? He can do one of two things. He can drown <laughs> or he can cry out to Jesus. Thank goodness he made the right decision there. The Bible said that when he began to sink, he didn't say, well, I guess it's the will of God that he, he got me out here to kill me. I guess it's the will of God that I become fish bait. Here we go, mama. He just... <laughs> When he felt his faith collapse, he didn't just let it go and say, well, I had my chance. He cried out to Jesus for help. Is this hard or what? This is when your faith collapses, cry out. Cry out to Jesus. He, he laid hold of him. He picked him up. He pulled him back. Listen, Jesus is the greatest lifeguard ever was. Jesus reached out there and grabbed hold of that man's hand, pulled him back up. If your faith has collapsed, get up. How many people do I know they quit going to church because something happened? They got hurt. They... So, I don't know. They just gave up. Listen to me. You who gave up, get up. Get back in the ball game. I got news for you. You can give up on Jesus. He's never going to give up on you. Even if your faith collapses, he's not going to give up on you. I mean, can I ask you a question? Who are you going to trust now? Where are you going? Let's get back in the ball game. Mine's collapsed before and thank God for his goodness and grace. You can get right back up. Now I'm going to quote to you a verse in, in quitting, quitting, closing, whatever that means. Simon was the great apostle who led the early church. His faith didn't just collapse once. It collapsed numerous times. Do you know why Simon was so used of God? He, he didn't have great faith. He wasn't a great man. What's the one thing Simon could do? Get back up. He was a man who could get back up. Simon had what we call rocky faith. He could get back up. And perhaps the greatest exhibition of the goodness of God is in this man's life. 
in Luke chapter 22, right before Jesus is carried away, he looked at Simon. Matter of fact, I want you to read this. You talk about the goodness of our God to carry our faith. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Let me show what Jesus will do for you when your faith collapses. In Luke chapter 22, this is right before Jesus is carried away. Man, this is wonderful. And uh, they've had the last supper. Jesus has explained, this is, this is perhaps the most emotional day in their lives. It's been a very traumatic day. Jesus has announced, I'll, I'll die tomorrow. Well, you could imagine your life's wrapped up in this man. On top of that, just a few verses back, they're sitting there, they're grieving over the loss of their savior. And Jesus looks around and says, one of you is a devil. These 12 men have walked for three years, elbow to elbow, camped together, ate together. And Jesus said, one of you has been a devil the whole time. And to show you how slick the devil is, they all looked at each other and said, who is it? You think you could be with somebody for three years, day and night, and not know who they were? Shows you how slick, our, I'm using the word slick, deceptive our enemy is. And so they just find out one of us is going to stab Jesus in the back. And if that's not bad enough, watch what Jesus said to Simon right after that. Verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. <laughs> Woo, I'd, I'd, be, I'd want to say, what did you tell him? What did you, what, I don't understand this. Theologically, this is way over my head. You'll have to talk to somebody who's got a lot of degrees for this. But for some reason, Satan came to Jesus and said, I want Simon. I want to sift him like wheat. And uh, Jesus said, I got good news and bad, <laughs> bad news for you. It's not funny. He said, I got good news and bad news for you. He said, I told him, go ahead. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. Watch in verse 32. I have prayed for you that your what? Your faith will not fail. And when you return to me, you will build the church and strengthen your brethren. Dear ones, I don't care if your faith collapses. Jesus will pray your faith back up. He will bring you back. And here's what's so funny. You talk about it. Why did Jesus let the devil do that? Didn't you read the last part? The enemy thinks he's going to destroy you. I'm going to use him to refine you. And not only that, when he gets done sifting you, I'm going to use you to change the world. This is the goodness of our great God. This is just, this is his great kindness. Just when you think it's all over, well, did it happen? Yep. If you read a little bit, Simon said, I will die for you. Jesus said, by midnight, you'll curse me. And he did. His faith collapsed. Simon was going to, he was going to carry the load and he got in front of a little woman that tall and started swearing and cussing and said, I don't even know who Jesus is. Would you call that faith collapsing? Any way you cut it, his faith failed again. But guess why that wasn't the end of the line? What did Jesus say? I have prayed for you. Tell me where Jesus is right now. He is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and me. I am not the author nor the finisher of my faith. Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus the starter and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus started this thing, he'll finish it. He will finish our faith. So Simon denies Jesus, curses him, gets up the next day and he said, I'm going fishing. And that didn't mean I'm gonna catch some fish. It meant I have blown it, it's over. I'm going back to my old way of life because he was a commercial fisherman. He said, I had this God thing, I screwed up. I guess I might as well go back and get my job. This is where people say, I'm going back to drugs. I'm going back to hell raising. I've messed up so bad with God. The church will kick you out. But this is so, Simon said, it's over. I'm gonna go back to what I was before I met God because his faith had failed. So he goes back to fishing 
And he's out there fishing. All of a sudden he hears a voice. I love it when we hear that voice. Did you catch anything out there? And he said, no. And he said, throw the net on the other side of the boat and see what happens. How many of you know God is always, listen, your own faith can fail you. He won't let it fail him. Simon throws the net. He catches all these fish. And John says, you know what? That guy on that shore over there, that's Jesus right there. That's the Lord. And Simon put on his jacket, jumped in the water, went to him. What's the next thing Jesus said to him? Would you like to explain why you cussed me the other night? Do you think you can be on my team after you act like that? What do you ask him? You still love me. Go change the world, son. Go feed my sheep. This is the goodness of our great God. Our faith really is not propped up on us. It's propped up on the prayers of Jesus. I'm telling you, the Lord is good. But when your faith collapses, and I'm talking to somebody tonight, you have thrown in the towel and you have gone back to whatever it was and God is talking to you tonight just like Jesus came and found Simon on that shore and it is time for you to get back in the ball game. I'm not going to ask you, can you do better next time? I want to ask you this. You still do love Jesus, don't you? Do you love Jesus? Feed his sheep. Get back in the ball game. Get your faith rebuilt. He can do that and let's get to show on the road. Now, for the rest of us who are not there, we need to Rambo up and we need, to become the, we need to become the delta force of faith. How about that? We'll call it the delta force of faith because Jesus is going to do what he said he could do. But I'll quit by saying this, be it unto you according to your faith. Let's go get it. Dear Jesus, I love you and praise you and thank you for your goodness. What would you do? What would you do if we would start to believe you and protect our faith and ramp it up? Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the goodness of the Lord. Dear Jesus, tonight, thank you that you bled out your life on a cross so that all the blessings of Abraham could be ours in Christ Jesus. I pray for every person listening. Open their hearts that, that fear, pain, I'm not even gonna go through the list. All the garbage that came in the fall was erased at the cross. Failure, all that junk was erased at the cross. And by faith, we lay hold of every promise of God. Raise faith up in the hearts of people where they can say, God's going to do this for me. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified in our lives. And I just declare over them, they are a great people of faith tonight who will see the promises of God come to pass because it will be in their hearts and in their mouths. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.